Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode number 58 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers. Uh, there is no intro this week. There's no Ryan and I this week. It is uh, We're going to get straight into an incredible conversation, however, with Ray's sideline reporter, Trisha Whitaker. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Psalm Sleep. Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? Because Psalm Sleep has you covered. The scientifically advanced Psalm Snack has ingredients that are naturally found in your body. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it has helped people everywhere take their games to the next level. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before you go to bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not Psalm Sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Go to GetSom.com, click Shop, and enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S, for 10% off of your entire order. Now, here's the episode. Uh, so I'm now joined by a very special guest, Trisha Whitaker. She is the Ray Sideline reporter for Bally Sports Florida, works games nationally on Apple TV, and is an adjunct professor at the media school at IU. That, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, of course. Me too. I've heard good things about your podcast, so I had to join in on the fun. Absolutely. Hey, next time we'll have to get Brian on here too oh yeah sure gotta get him on we could go back and forth about some things for a while i guarantee it (laughs) i told him you were coming on he's like she's awesome so this is this would be great um so going back to you though starting out though like your background i saw that you're from hoosier country in indiana what impact do you think growing up there had on your sports fandom and eventual career choice damn straight i'm a hoosier and i'll show you actually my living room right now in my living room you see a picture of bob knight throwing the chair legend in indiana <laughs> yep mm-hmm. and then you see the watt shot which is when indiana beat kentucky um in when i was in college in 2011 so i wear my hoosier pride on my sleeve i annoy the guys in the clubhouse so much with it i get so much grief come march um, but yeah, I grew up in, in Bloomington, Indiana. I went to IU and now I teach at IU. It's just the greatest place to grow up. I love it. And um, obviously we live and breathe college basketball there. So that's where my love for sports started really was at Assembly Hall watching Indiana basketball and watching Bob Knight um, throw a chair while I wasn't alive when he threw a chair. But I was alive when he was, uh, when he was still coaching. So uh, yeah, that's definitely where it all started for me. I've heard that that part of the country, they it's really intense in terms of like their love and just their passion for everything IU. Um, like, how would you kind of like describe it for somebody who's never been to the area and isn't quite as familiar? Like, do people like, is that live, breathe, die, just everything IU out there? Live, breathe, and die. We just swept Purdue um, in the season series, which is our rival. I'm telling you, that was wild. Like the entire state was celebrating. I know that Purdue's in Indiana as well, but it's really predominantly an IU state. And think about what else is there to do in Southern Indiana? I mean, seriously, what else is there to do in Southern Indiana than watch college basketball? Every driveway has a basketball hoop in it. Um, and everybody grows. I grew up playing AAU basketball. Um, I was not good, but I played and I enjoyed it. Um, my dad was my coach. And it's just it, you, it's just what you do in Indiana. If you don't know how to shoot a basketball, uh, you're kind of an outcast. So you just live and breathe Indiana basketball. And, and that's just our DNA. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's every like every time I see a game at Assembly Hall, it just looks like the best place ever to watch a game. So that's definitely that's bucket list material. Wild. It's insane. It's so loud. The students are are insane. And I love it. It's just it's diehard. That's about that's the best. Um, so one common theme that I've noticed from talking to people in sports media and sports broadcasting are just like a couple concepts of like saying yes to every opportunity and just wanting to learn how to do everything in the, in the business. Um, has that been, has that been the case throughout your career or what that look like when you're first starting out in the industry? Yes, it has been the case throughout my entire career. So my first job in sports was covering the Packers for a local news station in Green Bay, Wisconsin, the local ABC, which is cool, right? That sounds awesome. It was awesome. But what in the world goes on in Green Bay, Wisconsin, when the Packers aren't playing football? Not a whole lot. So I was out covering uh, fishing tournaments. I was covering deer hunting. Um, I was covering a lot of high school sports in the middle of nowhere. And I had to say yes to those opportunities. There's no opportunity that is um, below you at that point. I tell my students that all the time. I'm like, if you have an opportunity to cover a sport that's not one of the big sports at the college, go do it, right? Everybody's covering IU basketball. Everybody cares about IU basketball. You don't really have to try to get people to care about Trace Jackson Davis, the star of the IU basketball team. But you know where you do have to try? When you're covering Indiana softball, a team that people don't know a lot about and it doesn't garner a lot of clicks, that's where in college you're going to find the best stories that you tell. Because if you get people to care about that story, right, a feature story about a player who's had a phenomenal year, if you get people to care about that story, you can tell a good story about anything, right? And so I always tell students, don't be afraid to, to start there. Some of my most memorable stories I've done in my career have nothing to do with professional athletes. It has to do with the little girl playing softball who beat cancer for a second time. It has to do with, um, you know, a guy who beat the odds and hit a walk-off. And that was really his only moment and claim to fame. But those are the stories you live to tell. And um, that's where your challenge as a journalist. And that's what I always tell students. Nothing is, nothing is below you. I don't care where you're at in your career. Nothing is below you. If you can tell a story well, you can tell a story anywhere. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're right. Everybody wants to start out at, with the big four major sports. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I want to be hotshot reporter, TV anchor yes. man. But it's yes. like, you know, I feel like there's a long road. I So I actually used to work in TV news. I did the social side for my local station for a couple of years. Um, it's definitely not for everybody. There's a, definitely a lot of people that came in and out. Um, like, were there sacrifices that you had to make to ultimately get where you are today? Oh, for sure. I mean, on the weekends, when I'm out of college, I'm a 22-year-old. And on the weekends, my friends are still going out. They're going to tailgates. They're going, and I have to cover the games. On Saturdays, college football Saturdays, do you know where I was? I was deer hunting. I was shooting deer hunting in the middle of the woods in like negative 15 degrees in Wisconsin. Well, all my friends got these great jobs. And don't get me wrong, it was a great job. But all my friends got these jobs where they had the weekends off. They had holidays off. Didn't have that. I mean, I to have one Christmas off was a luxury. Like that did not happen, especially when you were out of college. You were the low man on the totem pole. You worked on Christmas. You worked on Thanksgiving. And I was lucky that like Green Bay is pretty close to where my family was in Bloomington, Indiana. So they came to see me, right? It wasn't, it wasn't hard for them to come see me, but the schedule sucked. It was awful. And that's just kind of what you have to do. I mean, and I, I, I don't want to say <clears throat> that you're going to be miserable because you aren't. You're going to look back on that with fond memories. 
but there are going to be moments where you're pretty damn miserable, but that's okay. I mean, that's why I relate to a lot of these guys in the majors, right? They didn't grow up as superstars. They grinded it out. Most of them, all of them really in the minors for years before they got to the big leagues. And that's what you have to do in TV or in reporting or anywhere. You have to grind it out. And if that's not for you, then get out of it. Don't even try because you have to be willing to sacrifice that. It is a sacrifice. You're going to lose some years of your life and, and good memories, maybe with your family. So if you're not cut out for it, my advice would be don't, don't do it. But if you are, just know that that doesn't last forever. You're going to get to a point where, you know, now I don't have to miss holidays with my family unless it's the 4th of July, which I can survive. Um, but I don't have to miss Christmas. I don't have to miss Thanksgiving. Um, I can be with them when I want to be with them. And, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Was there ever a moment, though, where that wavered, where, like, your, your commitment to your ultimate goal maybe be like, maybe this isn't for me? No, I was pretty obsessed with it. I'm crazy. Like, I mean, that's, we always joke. We're like, you have to be a little bit crazy to keep doing this. You do. And you really have to love it. And the idea of doing anything else really to me, I was like, no, I'm no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not passionate about that for me. Like I'm just, I live my life in the sense that like, if I'm not enjoying it, I don't want to do it. I, I mean, you're not going to enjoy every second, but you know what I mean? If I don't truly love what I do, I'm not doing it. I'm going to go find something else. I have truly loved what I do every step of the way. Was it always easy? Did I always love every single day? No. But the bottom, the foundation of what I did, I love. And I still do. This is my fifth season with the Rays. And when I have a day, like this season, I'll have a couple days off where the team is still playing. It, it kills me. I'm, a, I'm crazy. Like it kills me. I'm sitting there watching the game on my day off because I want to know what's happening and I'm that invested and I love it that much. Um, so, I mean, do what you love and you really won't feel like you're, I mean, that's such a cliche phrase, but do what you love yeah. and you won't work a day and you're like, I get to go to the ballpark and interview baseball players and watch guys throw damn near perfect games like Drew Rasmussen last year, watch Wander Franco make his debut. That's what I get paid to do. And I worked my ass off to get to that point, but now I'm to that point and it was, it was totally worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I use that phrase all the time. Like, uh, if you work, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I feel like that should be like plastered on the wall somewhere behind me, but yeah, it, it, it is true because if like, if it, if it doesn't become work to you, then it's just like, you know, it, it's, everything's easy at that point. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, one of my favorite things that I, in my reading up about you is just like your role as an adjunct professor at IU. Um, it, it, I'm fascinated by that. What, what inspired you to, to want to give back to the next generation? Oh, I just love my students so much. I'm like a proud mom. Um, it was about seven years ago, and Galen Clavio, who's the director of um, undergraduate studies for the IU Media School, just approached me and said, hey, would you be willing to do this? We need, he said, we need adjunct instructors who are actively in the industry. It's very helpful to the students. And I said, absolutely. I mean, you don't even have to ask me twice. So everybody's like, you're crazy. You go back to Indiana in the off season, in the winter and live. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You're like, you leave Florida? to go back to Indiana <laughs> in October. And I'm like, yes, I told you I'm nuts. Like I love what I do and I love teaching these students. And I'm telling you, I could go and, and do some sort of an incredible interview with Albert Pujols after he hits a 700th home run. That does not compare to when my student graduates and she or he gets a full-time job in sports. I, I just am so proud of them. I, 
I can think of no better way to spend my time than to helping that next generation. Because when I was in school, I didn't really have that. We didn't have a full out media school at IU. That's recent. And now that we have that, seeing some of those students, I just, I'm like a proud mom. And I've had some students come to the Rays and get internships with the Rays and get a full-time job with the Rays. And that's just the greatest feeling in the world. And I just, they also remind you of why you got into this. Like they're, my students will be so excited. I'm like, um, you got to go interview this, this, uh, this athlete that you have never heard of. And they'll be like, awesome. I, I, I can't wait. What, what, t-? like, you know, and there's, so, and I'm like, hell yeah. Like, don't ever lose that passion for loving what you do. No matter it, no matter who you're telling a story about it just, there's no better feeling. Absolutely. It's gotta be great seeing it come full circle too. When, when they're, you know, graduate from your class there. Um, what are the core tenets of broadcasting that you try to pass along to your students? Oh, I think just telling the story the right way. Um, I think this day and age with wanting to be first on everything and who can tweet it first, whose tweet's going to go viral. People get too caught up in trying to find that headline, almost like trying to push athletes into saying things that they don't mean, trying to trap them. I don't like that. And I get worried with social media and this day and age. See, you know what, Justin, there goes my earring. I have a tendency to do broadcasts <laughs> without earrings. It's just a thing that I do. And now I'm just continuing this. Um, but I, I try to teach them to do it the right way, right? Don't ask leading questions. Don't try to put words in an athlete's mouth. Don't, um, don't tell the story for you. Don't tell the story for you. Don't tell the story because you want to go viral. Tell the story so well that it goes viral or that you get a lot of views, but do not tell the story because you're trying to um, bring attention to yourself, right? I see a lot of journalists, not a lot, but some journalists do that where it's just like, I'm going to go into this clubhouse and I'm going to find the most juicy gossip I can find. It's just like, you're searching at that point. You're not doing it for the right reasons. Of course, you're going to uncover some things. It's your job as a journalist, to uncover the truth. But when you get to the point where you're running around asking athletes leading questions and trying to put words in their mouth just to make it a headline, that's where it bothers me. And so I try to teach my students to do it the right way. Do it the right way. Tell the story well and tell it in a way that's going to make people want to read it. But don't tell it inaccurately just because you want clicks and views and retweets. Um, And The other thing is just like, I think, be a good person. I think a lot of times you see people in this industry who step on other people's toes to get to where they want to be. Um, And, and I don't subscribe to that. And I, I try to teach my students to just be good to people. I like that. Yeah, no, I was, I was just like trying to take mental notes there. I have to go back and rewatch that. That was, that was fantastic. Um, So when you talk about people that do things the right way in, in journalism and sports broadcasting, like who are some of the best role models in your profession right now, you think? Um, so one of my like really good friends actually, and I didn't really meet her until the last couple of years, um, Lauren Shahadi. She, uh, is a host on MLB network for MLB central. She, um, is a sideline reporter for TBS and major league baseball postseason, and Tuesdays she hosts as well. And then she does sideline reporting for the NCAA tournament on TBS for March Madness. She does things the right way. She's worked her butt off. I have her speak to my students every semester because she's such a good role model to have. She worked her butt off. She started from the bottom. She started from the bottom in local news, just like me in the middle of nowhere, trying to make her way, worked her butt off, did it the right way. And the way that she does interviews, she does it the right way. She gets the truth. 
She gets the story while also respecting the athlete and asking questions that are open-ended, but get to the point. They're not leading questions. They're not trying to sensationalize. Um, and, and she really does things the right way. And I, and I, and I point to her for a lot of different reasons, but also um, in terms of, of play by play, I think another person that I look up to and who's also one of my good friends is Melanie Newman. She does play by play um, for the Orioles. She hosts MLB tonight on MLB network. That's a girl who grinded her way through the minors and just did an amazing job. And she's earned every single opportunity that she's gotten and probably deserves more opportunities than she does have. It's difficult to be a female play-by-play major league baseball voice. That's very difficult. Baseball is a very traditional sport. And a lot of people don't like the sound of a female on play-by-play, but she does a phenomenal job. Um, In terms of, let's see who else. I always, I don't know him personally, but I always really looked up to Tom Rinaldi in the way that he tells stories. I think he does a really good job telling stories. Um, I, I feel like he he simplifies stories, and it, and it's good. Kevin Burkhart has been another mentor to me throughout my career. Now he does you know NFL on Fox, and he does um, the pre and post game show for Fox during the Major League Baseball season. He just he's also done things the right way. He worked his way up. He had he was a used car salesman for a couple of years because he couldn't find a job. And now look at him. He's a, he's a top dog on Fox and on the for the NFL. And he did things the right way too. He always treats people with such respect. And and he it's not he doesn't make any story about himself. Uh, he but he calls it so well that all you're paying attention to is the way that he called it because he's so damn good. Um, you know, he's another one. Sage Steele was also a, a really great mentor to me in college. Um, I think she's really good at what she does. So there's a handful. That's it's so funny you mentioned Lauren Shahadi, Melanie Newman. I, I'm from Maryland, so it's like I feel like you know she's. I think Lauren's from outside DC, and Melanie obviously with the Orioles there. So yeah. um, I, I'm very familiar with their work. They're both excellent at what they do. Um, they you, you mentioned like sideline reporting and just like you know the, the the interviews, like the the mediums that you operate in. It's really short time frames. Like, how do you prepare questions for all that? I know we just talked about role models in the industry, but like your post game questions. Like, I went back and watched some of your your recent stuff. It's like they have depth, they're concise, they get the best responses. Like baseball players oftentimes don't like to talk and you get the best out of them. So how, how do you go about doing that? Man, that's a loaded question. Gosh, I don't know. Nobody's really ever asked me it that way, but it's a really good question. So I think most importantly, a lot of players, they respect honesty and they respect you giving them the platform to say what they want to say. Right. And they also respect open ended questions. Right. So so let's say it's a bad situation. You know, let's say it's a tough situation. I remember I always use this situation as an example in 2019. Tommy Pham. I don't know if you know Tommy Pham. He's he's a fireball. He's going to tell you what he thinks. He is going to tell you what he thinks, whether you like it or not. So he had gotten picked off at first to end the game. They lost the game to the Red Sox at home. It sucked. I go in the clubhouse. I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy. I got to interview Tommy. And I don't think he's going to be thrilled that I am going to approach him minutes after the game ended when he got picked off at first. Tommy was sitting in his chair. He's just sitting in his chair. And he looked straight at me like he knew I was going to come for him. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just walk over. So I walk over and I just say, Tommy, can we grab you for a second? He's like, yeah, you can. I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, and so I go, I said, um, I said, Tommy, you got picked off at first to end the game. Can you just walk us through your perspective on that play and what happened? That's all I said. You don't need to sensationalize it. I, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. That's not an example. I, trust me. I'm sure the players would come on here and be like, well, one time you asked me this question, but 
the point is you give them a chance to say what they want to say without putting words in their mouth. I'm not going to walk up to Tommy and be like, man, that, 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 how frustrating was that? I mean, how disappointed are you in yourself? Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'm not going to try to make him feel worse than he already feels in that moment. I'm going to give him a chance to tell me. And the thing about Tommy fam, he holds himself accountable. He expects the same from his teammates and he holds the clubhouse accountable. And I knew that about him because I got to know him a little bit. You know, I paid attention and he looked straight in the camera. He cursed, but what are you going to do? He looked straight in the camera. He said, plain and simple, I effed up. I effing lost the game for us and I effed up. I respect the heck out of that. Like I respect that he's going to be like, yeah, it's my fault. And he would not have given me that answer if I had put words in his mouth or asked a leading question or tried to sensationalize the moment, right? So when I prepare for interviews, I think, how can I get the best answer out of this guy while also being a journalist and not beating around the bush? I can't sugarcoat. My job is not to sugarcoat. My job is to just get the, get the questions asked and get the answers. And he gave me a great answer. Now, after they win, everybody's in a good mood. I mean, that doesn't challenge you really at all as a journalist, right? I mean, it, it does a little bit, but not really. I mean, nobody's going to give you a bad answer after they win. Um, it's important to ask specific questions, um, but it's also important to get their emotions. What does everybody care about after they win? Your emotions, right? Um, and then you follow it up with some more baseball-specific questions. So generally, my first question is always the big moment of the game, right? So like if they hit a walk-off, um, that's my first question. What was your perspective in that moment? Second question, maybe something else that had to do with the game, maybe a, a big run early in the game or the bullpen. Maybe they just came in and shut them out, shut them down, whatever it is. Then I ask generally like a forward looking question, right? So I'm like, all right, this win, you got the Yankees coming in here next. Aaron judges on a tear. Does this give you guys a little bit of momentum? So that's kind of how I do it, but there's no right way or wrong way, but that's, that's how it works for me. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. That's fascinating hearing your approach on that. I, I always hear like the outside criticism of like people that do what you do is like the questions are just like softballs. It's like how how exciting was that? Or or like, do you, do you ever find yourself trying hard not to fall into the like, I'm sure it's like an easy thing to ask them like, oh, that like how exciting was that? Or something like along those lines, like do you no. ever like consciously try to like not do that? Try to stay away from cliche questions. Yes. But here's the thing that people have to understand when you preface that question with the right information, it is no longer a generic question, right? So, so if you're, let's say, you know, the Rays, 2019, they made the postseason for the first time in years, right? There were generations of baseball fans who had never seen that happen, right? Because they were too young. Now they're seeing it happen. And there were guys in that clubhouse who had never made the postseason. Even Kevin Kiermeyer, who had been with the Rays forever, he had never made the postseason. So the, the correct question in uh, the correct first question is how exciting is this? But you have to preface it in a way that, that, that puts it into context, right? So you say, KK, 
You are the longest tenured Ray in this clubhouse. You have never experienced the postseason. You're experiencing it now with the team that you say you want to stay with for your entire career. How exciting is that? That's how you ask that question. Then when you say how exciting is that, you have given your question context. I'm not just going to walk up to KK and be like, KK, how excited are you? No, that's lazy. You have to frame it in a way for the viewer and the player that tells the story. That's my job. It's it's to view it in, it, it's to frame it so that the, the, the person watching TV, they don't even have to think about, well, why would this be that exciting for KK? They just made the wild card game. Like, why is that such a big deal? Well, let me tell you, right? And then you can ask the generic tag on because then it does have context. That's a great point. Yeah, it's, it's also just like, I feel like you ask the questions that like people, like the average fan wants to know. Like if it's like a walk-off home run or something like that, like, yeah, like, I want to hear your emotions. I want to hear your thought process. Like mm-hmm. these are all things on me on the couch. We're like, yeah, that is that is good to know. <laughs> um, but I, another thing that I've noticed is like, you know, the unflappability, that, what a word, uh, of yourself during these kind of big moments, whether it's like you're dodging a foul ball or you're doing post-game interviews in a locker room, getting doused with Bud Light, like, how have you always been able to stay that calm in the face of like, you know, outside circumstances? A little bit, but not as much as I am now. I think that's a trait that I always kind of had. I grew up doing musical theater and like doing like I sang in the worship band. Like I was always kind of like on stage, so to speak. So like, I don't, things don't really rattle me that much, but let me tell you <laughs> when you're in a clubhouse and you got guys pouring five cold Budweiser's on your head, at the same time, and you're trying to ask Corey Kluber a question, who's like the most stoic man in the world, most serious stoic man in the world, <laughs> that does really challenge you. Because, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I've never had a brain freeze quite like that in my life. That was rough. But but you still have to be focused and do your job. And I think just the adrenaline of it keeps me in the zone. But I, I, don't, I don't think I was always – like in 2019, this, there was one interview I did, and it still haunts me. You know, I think about the bad interviews more than I do the good interviews. I did this interview with G-Man Choi, and I just asked him the dumbest question. I don't even know what I said. It was a walk-off on, like, a wild pitch or something, and I just – I don't even know what I said. But I went to my friend who works the Rays Twitter account, and I'm like, can you please not post that interview? I don't even know what words came out of my mouth. Because I got frazzled in the moment. Everybody's going to have that moment, but you learn from it. So now, let's say we're in a situation – in the bottom of the ninth and the Rays could walk it off, right? Every player that comes to the plate, I've got my notebook and my pencil and I'm making a note. I'm like, all right, um, Brandon Lau, oh, for five, right? I- I'm writing that down. And then I- I'm writing down something like <clears throat> great defensive play in the third. Okay. So that in the moment, if, if B Lau hits a walk off two seconds later, I have my notes right? I have the, the, the bullet points on my notebook and now in my head so that I don't get rattled. So that when they come up and they throw a, a Gatorade shower on me, if I need to, I can just look down and say, oh yeah, defensive play in the third inning, right? Just a quick glance. Brandon, that defensive gem in the third inning, that was crucial, right? So that's how I do it. And that's what works for me. I mean, some people, you know, that doesn't work for them. But for me, that does, because I think you do have a, you have an obligation in those moments as a journalist to keep your head on. 
And if you, it, it, because the viewer at home's all excited, the player's all excited. Who knows if Brandon even remembers that play in the third inning? It's my job to remind him and the viewers why this entire game was so incredible. Yeah, I, I wanted to go back to when the Rays clinched last September. Um, MLB Network, I was watching it all that night. I think it was a Friday night when they clinched. Uh, they carried your entire like locker room, just like you going around to every every single player. Yeah, really? I, I didn't even know they did that. <laughs> they did. Um, <laughs> and, that, that, and then when uh, when they co- went back to the studio, uh, I think Greg Amsinger said, like, what a, what a performance by Trisha Whitaker. Here's a fun fact for you. At her, at her media class at IU, uh, she teaches a class on how to handle locker room post-game interview situations. And all the guys were like, wait, really? And he's like, no, no, actually, no. But she's just... <laughs> well, actually, no, he's right. I do. I totally do teach them. Well, you actually I do? <laughs> yeah, I totally teach them. I show them that video almost every year. Not all of me, but like of all my other girlfriends, too, in, in, in the business, like Meredith Morakovich, she's a pro at it because the Yankees make the postseason every flipping year. So she's learned how to do it. Julia Morales for the Astros. Of course, she has to know how to do it. But but Greg, Greg, oh, I'm going to have to give him grief for that. I didn't know he said that. I love Greg. He's the best. I've learned a lot <laughs> watching Greg, too. You want to talk about unflappable and, and a natural presence on air? That's Greg. I mean, he just – there's nothing that could – there's nothing that could rattle him, and he's just such a natural on air. And I've learned a lot from watching him. So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you, you mentioned that. Uh, he's a friend of the pod. He, he sits on the shelf behind me. Oh, uh, so. there he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you will not find a you not find a bigger Greg Amsinger fan than myself. Um, I'm sure he would do the same in those kind of situations. Uh, but how? So, like you, you mentioned your preparation for like. Um, you know, write, you're writing down notes. Like, did you have like extra like stuff prepared for that night when you go into a, a you know, the, the locker room after a big playoff clinching win like that? So actually the night before I'm sitting there on my like computer in my notes app that syncs to my phone. And for most of the key players and the starting rotation and some of the key bullpen guys, I would write their name and then I would just write a few little bullet points about them. Right. So I would, you know, let's say there was a guy in there who was making the postseason for the first time. I would make sure to write that down. Or let's say there's a guy in there who, you know, is a longtime veteran of the game. And this is only his second time making the postseason, whatever it may be. But I did have some of those storylines mapped out before the game just to make sure I remembered. And, and, and even like in those moments where you're just like the music's blaring and they're throwing champagne everywhere and, you know, whatever, it might be hard hard to remember like oh like don't forget this guy was injured in um april and may right whoops april and may and he came back right so i'll put that in my notes just to make sure i don't forget to give give that interview context the most important thing in those situations is absolutely the emotion right so it's really about the team and the grand the the bigger picture but there are some players like wander franco when they made the postseason in 2022 last season the poor man broke his freaking hand, right? He had surgery and he came back. Was he the same Wander Franco we're used to? No, he wasn't, but they still made the postseason. So that's something you have to bring that up in the interview with Wander. Um, Corey Kluber, I had to bring up what he said when he was first signed by the Rays, which is, I feel like this team is the closest, one of the closest teams to win the World Series. So that's why I wanted to come here. Obviously that didn't end up happening. They underperformed. Blah, 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 blah. But when they made the postseason, that was important for me for me to bring up. So, yeah, I, I do. I do think about that ahead of time. It was it was a, like you said, it was a masterclass on how to do that. So I, I like going back and watching some of that. Um, 
like is that like just like an occupational hazard though like whether you're doing like you know you're standing on the the side after a walk off and you get the Gatorade bath or you're in the locker room like do you have to like keep your head on the swivel for those kind of things a little bit but like the thing about it with the walk-offs and I realized this this past year you know everybody's like don't you know it's coming and I'm like no they do it three times so like sometimes they only do it twice like they'll they'll dump Gatorade over him twice or they'll only do it once so I'm like I don't know when it's coming and also you got to remember in the moment for those walk-off interviews, it's live. So in my IFB, I got my producer being like, Trish, are you ready? Are you good? Are you good? We're coming down to you at five, four. And so the last thing, I mean, I don't care how many times it happens. The last thing I'm thinking about is somebody coming up behind me and pouring a Gatorade, you know, a cooler on my head. And also I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure, you know, whoever it is, Manuel Margot, Randy Rosarena, I'm trying to be like, Hey, come on, come on. This is your first stop. Like, come on, get over here. I know it's fun to celebrate. Please celebrate, but come on. Um, and so I'm not thinking about that. And, and I don't really want to think about it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, fine. If they miss me, great. If they don't, I don't care. It's good for your hair. Like, <laughs> apparently beer is good for your hair, too, in those locker room celebrations. In the 70s, they used to make beer shampoo because of the hops and the protein in it. It's good for your hair. Best hair day ever after our clinching games. I was going to say, like, what was the next day like after you got champagne and Budweiser Beautiful. out of here? Beautiful. Yeah. My hair was so shiny. <laughs> It was so healthy. And um, I told everybody, I was like, I, I would like a sponsorship from Budweiser. And I'm going to just put a can of beer, a can of Budweiser in my shower and like pour a little of my shampoo before I wash my hair. Because I'm serious. I mean, look, at you can look it up. There's there's uh, beer shampoo from the 70s. They were on something. I'm going to write that down. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> um, one of the things I've always known, like, you know, if, when you work around a team, you're around these guys so often, like the relationships, you, you get to know these guys at a more personal level. Uh, I want to ask about a couple of guys in particular. Um, the first is, I mentioned him earlier, Pete Fairbanks, a gem of a human, like friend of the podcast. Um, like how special is it just getting to like interview him and cover him and, and just, you know, show up to work every day and get to see Pete? Oh, Pete, he's the greatest. He's always the best soundbite. I'll never forget in 2020 when they clinched, he was smoking a cigar throughout the entire interview. The entire interview. It was hilarious. No, he's the greatest. I mean, he just like, he's such a good sport about everything. And he gets it. Like if we have to talk to him, you know, if he's on some great streak or if he just like blew a game, he's still like Pete. I mean, he doesn't, he, he, he gets it. There's a lot of guys who don't, who don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get that. Like we have to interview you, you know, after it's bad or after it's good. Like, I mean, that's just how it goes. And he gets it. And he's so entertaining and he's so funny um he's just he's the best gosh I don't want to blow his head up too much Pete you're the greatest <laughs> but I, I I think I gotta stop there because you already know how great you are <laughs> what what happens when a player curses on like your live interview because I remember with one last year he said uh my wife was showing me some shit on Twitter yeah he goes oh my god I just cussed <laughs> that's my favorite <laughs> um I don't like if it's a word like shit it's really not that big of a deal um I think it was the if it was the f-bomb it might have been a bigger deal we might have gotten fined for that, um, but it, it's it's just it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. Um, a lot of guys say things, and I I don't think we should be so sensitive to it. I mean, I understand the f bomb, fine. You want to blur that out, that's great. But everything else, it's like, eh, so what? Let them speak their mind. I mean, that's just my opinion, but yeah. Ooh, what, what's the inside baseball when somebody drops an f bomb when you're like talking to them? So the the station gets a fine from that. I actually, I don't, it used to be that way. And I'm not sure if it's that way anymore. And I'm also not sure the guys in the production truck are, are geniuses 
the editing they do and dumping out of something if they have to is is remarkable. And I, I actually do not know, like, let's say it's a live interview with Pete Fairbanks and he drops an F-bomb. I'm not sure if they could dump out of it or not. I, I really don't know because it's never happened. Thank God. And that is not, that's not a challenge, Pete. That's not a challenge. I'm not challenging you to do that. Um, but it did used to be that you would get fined. I'm not sure if it's that way anymore. Uh, I know it's frowned upon, but I don't know if you'd get fined. But I don't want to find out. That's a good point. Well, hey, maybe maybe with Pete this season you will accidentally. You never know. Pete, no. <laughs> Wild card. <laughs> um, the other guy I wanted to ask about is my co-host on the podcast while he gets ready to go play in Korea, Brian O'Grady, a 2020 Rays legend. Um, he's told me the stories about that that postseason run. But um, do you remember covering him and that whole magical run they went on there? 2020 Rays legend. I'm sure he loves that. No, I I. I in, unfortunately in 2020 because it was the year of the pandemic it absolutely killed me but I wasn't around the team I mean I talked to them on zoom every single day but that's it I mean I couldn't even I, I wasn't with them it, it was it broke my heart but um yeah every time I talked to him he was great I didn't talk to him a ton but he was great and I loved to see that he was doing this podcast because um I I think that's really good for the game I think it's good for the game for guys to to put themselves out there and do stuff like this because it just makes it it humanizes them and it makes people just connect with them more so I was really really happy to see that that he was doing this but no he was always a professional he was so nice um and, and I enjoyed having him around in the brief time that I that I was around him I think in spring training I was around him a little bit too uh, and, he, and he was great. So I just wish the pandemic hadn't happened because then I'm sure I would have a lot of fun stories for you because you're right. I, <laughs> I do get to know the guys pretty well and their families and their grandmas and their, you know, like Tyler Glass now, for example. I mean, his parents, I feel like are like my parents on the road. Like I see them on the road all the time. And I just feel like they've kind of taken me under their wing and they just look out for me and we are just super close and I just love hanging out with them. So it's like you, you do become very close to these people. And that is my favorite part of the job. A lot of people ask like, you know, are, would you ever leave the race for something like national or whatever? And I'm like, you know, I, I can't predict the future, but at the same time, like that is that you don't get a family atmosphere everywhere especially not when you're a national. It just doesn't happen. And I really value that here. I really do. I like that. It's funny you mentioned Brian doing this podcast. I was just thinking that like there, in baseball, there really aren't a lot of active player podcasts. And that's one thing I always like getting like their perspective, like, like what Draymond Green used to do. I don't know if he still does it or not. Like after a game, 20 minutes after, he'd be talking about it on a podcast. Like Was I like that, that stuff. Great idea 20 minutes after the game for Draymond? I don't know, but he did. No. I mean, the fans loved it. <laughs> yeah. I wish, you know, who is, so if, if Tampa Bay Rays, if there would be some active player podcasts started up with, with some Rays players hosting it, who do you think would be uh, some of the best hosts of a Rays player podcast? Glass now and Fairbanks. I um, listen to that. 100%. And I actually also think Randy Orozarena would be great. Um, obviously, you know, he doesn't speak English well, but I think he would be awesome too, because he just plays the game with such energy. Um, who else would be good on a podcast? I think Yandy Diaz would be really funny. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to go with Pete Fairbanks and Tyler Glass now. That, I mean, can you imagine just like in a um, room together? Yeah. Oh, it'd be so funny. It'd be so great. And the honesty, <laughs> the blatant honesty that both of them would have and have no apologies about their honesty. I love it. 
we need to make that happen. I don't know who, you know, the powers that be needed to make that happen, but um, I would listen to that. And I'm an Orioles fan. So that just, that goes all. <laughs> so I need to know. Um, so a couple of last questions for you going back to the Rays this year. Um, so, I mean, last year they made the postseason with a team with, guy, with a, a lot of injuries to key players. Um, how much of a difference is it just like, you know, they didn't make a ton of moves in the off season, but getting guys fully healthy for this season. You know, I, I keep getting tweets from people on Twitter, which you should never read the notifications, but we do. Um, when I mention the Rays starting rotation, right? I'll be like, man, the, you know, starting rotation is looking good. They'll be like, yeah, but hello, we didn't go out and get a bat. Yes, it would have been nice for them to go out and get a bat, of course. But you have to remember, and this isn't an excuse, but, but you got to remember, last season, their top hitters were injured for the majority of the season. Wander Franco broke his flipping hand and he was out for how long? Two months, two and a half months. Brandon Lau, one of their best hitters, only played 60 games, 60 some games. Manuel Margot damn near broke his leg. Did we, didn't he break his leg? I don't even remember. He did break his leg, didn't he? He broke his leg. He was out. He's one of their best hitters. Harold Ramirez, who was on a tear for them last season, was one of their best hitters and got injured. You, that kind of luck affects a team. There were moments where we were rolling on a AAA lineup, and that is no, that, that's no slight to the guys in AAA. They have a great farm system. But you can't just call, like guys coming up from AAA, they need time to adjust to the big leagues. They cannot just step into the box and feel immediately comfortable in the AL East. In the AL East. And I feel like Rays fans are like, well, it just means we're not deep. If any team lost their top four hitters, five, I mean, you'd be struggling all season long. And so I think that the offense, with the health of Brandon Lau, Wander Franco, Manuel Margo, Harold Ramirez, Randy Arozarena, Yandy Diaz, who's an on-base machine, I think they're going to be a lot better this year offensively. Um, and if they're not, okay, then we can talk. Then we can talk about how their bats aren't enough. Okay. But I don't think that's a good argument to say that we don't have enough bats. They do have enough bats. They've just got to produce. They have the, one of the biggest superstars in the entire flipping league. And that's Wander Franco. So you saw what he did in, in his first, in his spring training debut. He hit a home run in his first at bat. I know it's spring training, but then he went on to go like three for three or something like that. I mean, he looks comfortable, so there's hope. It's funny you mentioned the the Triple A team for the Rays. I mean, Durham could probably compete in the AL East most yeah. nights, probably. <laughs> they, they could, they absolutely could, but it's very difficult when you are rolling out something that looks like a Triple A lineup with a lot of guys yeah. who have only had a cup of coffee up in the majors. And it's to know it's, it's it's not an indication of that they're not going to be a good player. It's an indication of the big leagues are hard. There is a there is there is a Fastly, I mean, it's just a huge difference in talent when you're looking at the mound in the big leagues versus AAA. There just is. There, they, they, there, there's no way that you can expect a guy to come up and in like five games, all of a sudden catch his stride. They do need time to adjust. Brandon Lau, when he got called up to the big leagues, I think he went like 0 for 29 or something. I mean, he was terrible for his first like couple weeks. But now look at him. I mean, that's just not a good enough sample size to judge those guys down in AAA. You got to give them time. 
one player that I'm a ginormous fan of, uh, it's also just because we had him on the podcast, is Josh Lowe. Uh, I'm a big Josh Lowe guy. I feel like, you know, kind of the buzz with him every year is like, you know, is he going to put together? Is he going to figure it out and stick around on the roster for more than like 50 games? Where does he kind of fit into the Rays' plans for this season? Is, is Are they giving him a fair look this spring? You know, I love that you brought him up because they definitely are giving him a fair look this spring. And I actually did a sit-down interview with Josh three days ago. And I brought that up. You know, I said, Josh, this team, we didn't, they didn't, they didn't go out and get a left-handed hitter like they need. And a lot of talk is about you. And if you're going to take that next step in 2023. And I loved what he said. He said, I think a lot of people learn from their failure. And in a way, I'm glad that I failed last season. I mean, he's not glad that he failed, but you know what I mean? He, he said that he actually talked to Brandon Lau about it too. He was like, I look at Brandon Lau and what happened to him when he got called up. And he's like, I talked to my brother, Nate Lowe, who, gosh, try to say Brandon Lau and Nate Lowe in the same sentence. Um, <laughs> he's like, I look at my brother, Nate Lowe, who, when he went to the Rangers, you saw him come into his own. Um, and so Josh knows, I mean, he knows, and he's excited for this year. And um, I think that he's going to take the failure of last season um, and hopefully turn it around for him. I, I think he can do it. Will he do it? You know, I don't know. I think he can do it. And he also said, he said, he said, you know, I've got somebody like Brady Williams is now the Ray's third base coach. He was the manager in AAA for the Durham Bulls. And when Josh Lowe had his most success, Brady Williams was his manager. So Josh joked, he was like, you know, maybe seeing Brady over at third, maybe he's got a couple hits in him from my prime when I was in the minors. So We'll see. I mean, it's 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 up to Josh. So we'll see. That's the best. Yeah, he's got all the tools. That's that's like the one thing I'm keeping an eye on from like an outside, not Rays fan perspective. Uh, if you had to like say like what is like one under the radar storyline going into 2023 that people should pay more attention to when it comes to the Rays? Mm, that's a really good question. What is one under the radar storyline? You know, I. I sometimes don't think we talk about the Rays defensively enough. Um, the pitchers have the luxury of going out there and having an elite defense behind them. I don't think we talk about Taylor Walls and his defense at short enough or wherever he's playing, you know? I mean, he just, he, he's good. And I don't think we give him enough credit and I don't think we give the Rays enough credit defensively. Um, and their defense has, has been elite and it's saved them in a lot of those games where they couldn't score runs, you know, and you're running the bullpen, bullpen out there and it's, a, it's you know, <clears throat> a tight game and the offense can't produce and they are, <clears throat> they're the ones protecting the lead and they've got a defense behind them that is pretty elite. Now losing Kevin Kiermeyer obviously in center field is tough, but you got a guy like Jose Siri who they love his speed. Um, and they're just hoping he takes a step offensively, but I don't think we talk about the Rays defensively enough. So I think that might be, you know, an under the radar story. It's funny. You mentioned that Brian said on here, uh, when he was trying to play third base in Tampa, that Kevin cash used to just rip ground balls at him at like 115 miles an hour off the bat. Um, and I think, you know, that might have got something to do with that infield defense is pretty good. So that's, (laughs) they don't. And that, that is actually, it's funny. He said that you hear a lot of people when they come in to play the Rays talk about how like the Rays are out there taking ground balls every single day. Uh, that's a lot of teams don't do that every single day, but the Rays, I mean, maybe not every single day, but you know, more often than not. And, and 
it makes a difference. They, they practice, 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 and they pride themselves on that. Absolutely. So I always like to end with this one as my last question. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Piece of advice I've ever received. Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. I feel like I've received a lot of really good advice. I think probably one of the best pieces of my, and this doesn't really even have to do with my career necessarily, but my mom, she would always tell me like, just remember who you are, no matter what your job is, no matter where you are. Because as much as I love baseball and I love my career, I think sometimes what's important for a lot of the young journalists and even journalists now is to remember that, that you're so much more than your job. And I think Tyler Glass now was the one who did a podcast maybe a season ago. And he was like, there's a lot more to me than baseball. And I have to remember that because if you get too caught up in it and you place your identity in it, you get in a bad space mentally. So I think that's probably the best advice I ever received. I mean, even a guy on our team, Shane Boz, I did an interview with his dad and he's got dad, big arms. <laughs> Does he have the barbed wire on this? <laughs> yeah. He made MLB network after that interview. Yep. But he said in that interview, he said, I always tell Shane, baseball is what you do. It's not who you are. And I think that frees you to go out there and have fun and be yourself. And I think that applies to everything in life. You cannot put your identity just in baseball or in broadcasting. If I lost my job tomorrow, I would, of course, be devastated because I love it. Right. But I think it's important for us all to put our identity in other things. Right. Like I'm a daughter. I'm an aunt. My faith is really important to me. I love teaching. I love cooking. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about and you have to have balance. If you, do, if you don't have balance and you don't force yourself to sometimes step away, that's why I go in the off season back home to Indiana and I teach. I'm not on TV at all in the off season because I don't want that to be my full identity. I just don't. And you, and you, and you can't do that with anything because if you do, once that thing is taken away from you, you, you're mentally in a tough spot. So I think that's something with our generation's mental health too. That's really important is to remember that like you have worth outside of your career. You have worth outside of baseball. You have worth outside of being on TV. I mean, it's just, it's true. So that's probably the best piece of advice my mom gave me <laughs> and Shane Boz's dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was incredible. That, I mean, thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time. Yeah. Like this has been incredible. Um, you know, and best of luck covering the Rays down there this season. Thank you. Thank you. I hope uh, in the off season on this podcast, we're talking about a World Series win. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.